If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you the rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, and everything you need is all in one place, and here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup's like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify, with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish a video podcast to Spotify. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I did not write Uncle Tom's Cabin. God wrote it. I merely did his dictation. Harriet Beecher Stowe. The South is full of history, extraordinary tales of questionable characters, outlaws, heroes, and thought-provoking narratives passed down from generation to generation like grandma's recipes. These real-life stories and exaggerations of fiction have helped shape the South and have created a larger-than-life accounts of legend. Each week we will uncover fun facts of historical events, interesting places, famous people, and everything in between from all around the South. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, YouTube, or your favorite podcast listening app to listen to the show for free. So grab your sweet tea, fried green tomatoes, and pull up a chair as we uncover little-known facts about the uncommon history of the South. Hello and welcome to Uncommon History of the South. I'm Brian. And I'm Harold. And Harold, before we get started, I just want to make a quick announcement. Uh, we are now on Pandora. Did great. So we are pretty much on every major podcast platform um, out there. And, if, and if, I know there's a lot of older people that, that don't understand how podcasting works. All you have to do is tell them if they can get on the internet, pull up Google or whatever search engine they use, type in Uncommon History of the South and they will find our podcast. Yes. All right. I have found it useful to, to type in Uncommon History of the South podcast. Yes. Because there's an Uncommon History of something else that comes up on there first. It is. There's different. Yeah. So, yeah, if you put in Uncommon History of the South podcast, it'll bring it up. So, tonight we're going to be talking about Uncle Tom's Cabin and the connection to Garrett County. But before we do that, why don't you tell us what happened today in Kentucky history? All right. I'm going to do two days, Brian, because awesome. one day is just... Uh, Can't beat two for one. Yeah. April the 8th, 1862, George W. Johnson, governor of the Confederacy of Kentucky, was killed in the Battle of Shiloh in Tennessee, making him the only state governor, Union or Confederate, to fall in battle during the Civil War. He was succeeded by, uh, as governor, Richard Hawes, and more than 1,400 Kentuckians were killed in the Battle of Shiloh. Wow. That's a lot of people. It is. From one state to be killed. Uh, in 1884, Clay City was chartered and named in honor of Henry Clay. And in 1962, Jenkins Public Library in Eastern Kentucky was named a most progressive, the most progressive small library in the United States. Well, now that's that's a quite an, an achievement, I would think. It is because most people think Kentucky does not have libraries. Well, you know, and and we tend to think that the problems they have in eastern Kentucky with education and everything, and here 
one of the libraries in Jenkins was named one of the most progressive in the whole United States. That's remarkable. Now, that's that's really cool. Now I want to add April the ninth okay. here, because there's a good reason for that. Something near and dear to my heart. <laughs> in 1880, football officially arrived in Kentucky. Now that ought to be a national holiday. It should. Man. Center College in, in Danville, Kentucky, versus Kentucky University, which is now, I think, University of Kentucky, right. was the first organized football game in Kentucky in 1880. Who won the game? It doesn't say. Hmm. Well, we know that uh, Center College beat Harvard. Yeah, that was the, a little bit later. Yeah. Was 20, 30 years later. Yeah. yeah. But, it's man, that goes back there, doesn't it? That does, it is. That's way back. And in 1945 – the parking meter was introduced in Lexington, Kentucky. Now, that guy would have been hung. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I used to be a police officer in Lexington. <laughs> those guys walking downtown on those beats writing tickets, it made a lot of people unhappy. Yeah, I bet the guy that invented the parking meter, <laughs> you will not hear his name. <laughs> no, there'll be no monuments to him. No, uh-uh, none. All right, so Uncle Tom's Cabin is based on a family out of Garrett County. Am I correct? Well, Parsley. Okay. It's parsley. What I'm, what I'm trying to do is, now I want to tell our podcast listeners of all the, the, how many shows we've done or whatever, and matter of fact, some of the talks I've given and things, this is the hardest one that I've ever worked with. And I think it, the reason for it is, is the source that I'm getting my information from, and we'll talk about that in a second, but it, it is so hard to understand his vocabulary, uh, his storytelling, uh, and it's not because he, uh, any other way, but it, that's the way he probably talked. And it was probably written down and narrated by somebody, and it was just put into a book. Now, the background for Uncle Tom's Cabin and the story of Harriet Beecher Stowe and how she wrote that book. Now, our listeners need to know that's a novel, Brian. All right. This is not that, – that book is not – considered history although it is based on real people and real characters let me ask you this Uh how much influence did uncle Tom's cabin have in starting the civil war well you know when president lincoln met harriet beecher stowe he said this is the little woman that started the big that wrote the little book that started the big war okay and i think the reason he said that was that uh the anti-slavery movement had been very alive and well for some years, and it needed a trigger point. It needed something to center it. And I think this book, as much as anything, first of all, I think it made the slave a human being with a conscience. Versus property. And a soul versus property. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. And then she brought a narrative to the people that they'd never heard before. And she looked at it from a perspective that people had never thought of it before. So that is, and 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 she wrote it for anti-slavery, uh, for the anti-slavery movement for that reason. As so that was her motivation for doing it. So obviously, uh, that book had a huge effect on what was going on in the world at that time. But slavery issues start way before the Civil War. That's not something that came up a year or two. You know this. This is this has been going on for for several decades, and uh, so the the source of this podcast is from a book that was written in 1846. Now, in slavery times, Brian, that's early in Kentucky history as far as 
you know, a, a book being written. Now, this is about two guys that about their lives prior to that. And it's called The Narrative of the Sufferings of Lewis and Milton Clark, uh, Sons of a Soldier of the Revolution during a captivity of more than 20 years among the slaveholders of Kentucky, one of the so-called Christian states of North America, dedicated by themselves. Now, one of these two gentlemen, do they, did they represent Uncle Tom in this, or was this a separate, are these separate from? No. They, they, now, there's, we're going to get into that in our next podcast because there's so much here I don't have time for it in this one. When Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote her novel, she also wrote a book that most people don't know about, and I have it here, and we'll take some pictures of this, got stuff you all, and we'll put it on our Facebook postings. And it's called The Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin, oh, okay. in which she explains a lot of the characters. But there was another guy uh, that wrote a book, and we have it here. It's called Uncle Tom's Story of His Life from 1789 to 1879. And uh, we will we'll take a picture of it and, and show it as well. But he was the, quote, Uncle Tom character in the book. Okay. Now, again, this is fictional right. based on people's lives. Now, the... The story, uh, the narrative of Lewis and Milton Clark, and I read the title pages where that information came from that I read. And what was interesting is probably caught everybody's ear was amongst the so-called Christians of Kentucky. Now, these guys lived in what's now Garrett County, Kentucky. Uh, this would be uh, probably the southwestern part of Garrett County. And they were two brothers. And we're going to get into their families a little bit later. And if okay. we don't get to that today on this podcast, we'll cover it in the next one. But um, the, they, in this book, they broke it up in two sections. And the first section is written about, or was written by Lewis Clark. And the second section is written by Milton Clark. Now, Lewis Clark was, um, uh, has much shorter narrative. I don't know why. He just didn't, go, just didn't seem to go into a lot of detail. Um, he seemed to move on with his story where um, Milton took more time and went into detail. And maybe he had more to talk about. I don't know. But let's start with Lewis. Okay. And I'm going to try to make this move, y'all, because I know things can get boring in telling stories. And I try not to belabor details. But we want to know what I'm trying to do is, is to show the life of a slave as they described it as best I can. The good and the bad. The, the, there's, there is some good there about some things, but as much as anything else, you know, I think historians, we're seekers of the truth. We want to see things in a clear as possible. Right. I really want to know what it was really like. Now, having said that, I have never read an account by anyone be it a soldier, a pioneer, um, a gangster, <laughs> or, right. or a slave, or anyone that didn't have a biased view because it's impossible not to have a biased view. It would be like me trying to tell a story of my life. I want you all to know all the good stuff, and I don't want to. I won't belabor the bad stuff. I'll just kind of skip over that as fast as I can. And that's the kind of same way when somebody writes an autobiography about themselves. They they kind of just brush over the the bad parts yeah. and they only put in the good what's good about them you know they don't really go into yeah. detail about well mine the, would be a real short 
book because <laughs> I mean, the band would probably take up more. Yeah, I believe we I'd just, want to write my own. Not I would yeah, want to we, get somebody else writing it for me. Probably don't change the subject. <laughs> yeah. and let's move on. Yeah. All right, Lewis Clark. He was born in 1815 in uh, Madison County, Kentucky, and his. Now this, this this is where this gets so hard for me, and I again. Uh, to our listeners, I apologize if I stammer, but this is a hard thing to understand. He was his grandfather was Samuel Campbell, and he was a white man, and his mother uh, was was half. Uh, his mother's name was Mary, and she was half white, and she had a daughter, L E T I T I A, Letitia. Okay. Campbell. Now, how did he get the name Lewis Clark? He doesn't explain. Hmm. And that, that kind of hit me right off the bat. Well, where'd the Clark come from? I don't know. He doesn't go into that. And his his grandfather was uh, from Scotland, and he came into the United States, and he was in the Revolutionary War and fought at the Battle of Bunker Hill. So imagine the stories he could tell. Oh, yeah. In 1800, he came to Kentucky, and uh, there were 10 persons in the family, uh, and they had a worth as slaves of $300 apiece. And Lewis was born with the help. Now, he he describes this, and there again, here we're talking about uh, terminology that I have never heard before. He said he was born with a female professor of the couch. And I assume that's a midwife. Or? I don't know. A prostitute. I don't know. That's, I've never. I don't know. I don't know what that means. A professor of the couch. I've never heard that term uh, before. Okay. At age seven, he was given to the Campbell's sister a Betsy Banton. Now, um, and he was in her home for like 10 years as a slave. Uh, he said he had two meals a day, uh, about nine in the morning and two o'clock in the afternoon. And Mrs. Banton was very cruel. And he really despised her. I mean, she was just cruel, bitter human being. She was cruel not only to her slaves, but her children and everybody around her. Wow. She seemed to be a very bitter person, according to him. Uh, he moved to the Kennedy Plantation uh, when he was uh, for four or five years. He had, he had lived there at the Kennedy Plantation. Now, the Kennedy Plantation was the plantation of General Thomas Kennedy. And Thomas Kennedy was a Revolutionary War um, soldier, he was uh, came in with Isaac Shelby, great friends with Isaac Shelby. Uh, matter of fact, I think they fought together at the Battle of uh, uh, Hill there in North Carolina. I went blank on the name. I'll come back to it. But they fought together, had a lot of experiences together. <laughs> Thomas Kennedy was a character. Um, they said his gravestone had been hit by lightning. Uh, two or three times. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. That's kind of legend, probably more legend than fact. I did see his gravestone, and it was busted, by the way. <laughs> but it might not have been from lightning. Right. 
But uh, he, he was on this plantation, and they, they were going to uh, – the, the senior Kennedy had died. Now, he said he was a very cruel man. The, the son had inherited the, the plantation, and he was uh, lost it gambling. This, this house is an old brick house. I have pictures of it, but it's long gone. And it was used, you know, those, a lot of those early houses were like um, road stops for people. Travelers. Before right. hotels. Now, we've talked about this before. So they would stay in people's houses. And usually a second or third floor room. Sometimes there was an outside staircase that led up to the room. You'd pay 50 cents a night or something and a quarter for breakfast, and you'd come down and eat and be on your way. Sounds dangerous, you know, right. but uh, it probably was. But uh, anyway, that was a way of life. Well, on the third floor of this house, up in the attic, they had a card game, gambling that went on so many nights a week or so. And so he preyed upon people that were staying at his house, travelers and so forth, and, you know, who knows. But anyway, he lost the whole plantation gambling. Well, he knew that he was going to be sold south. Now, for a slave to be sold to go south, and that's, you know, there's a, saying down the river right well that meant to go to the louisiana that area mississippi alabama the delta and pick cotton mm-hmm. in the heat and they didn't live long and it just was it was a cruel system of labor that was enforced upon them and they knew that if they had been sold south so that when a slave if he knew that he was going to be sold south a lot of them some of them went as far as to commit suicide. And some of them uh, tried to escape. Some did escape and so forth. We're going to get a lot of that later, too. So by 1841, he had decided to escape. And now, with his uh, genetic background, if he stayed out of the sun, he might pass for a dark-complected white man. And I want to show pictures of him. Now, we don't have photographs because this was before photography, but we have sketches in this book of what they look like. And he did not look like the typical slave. Hmm. So I could see where this was possible. So he, he escaped in 1841, and he got to Maysville, Kentucky. And he crossed the river there, and he, there's, a, there's a ferry that, you know, he, he had a, this was a great risk, Brian, to do because there were patrollers out all over the country, and these were guys were paid to catch escaping slaves. And the closer we got to the Civil War, the more this was happening. Wow. So there was people out, and it was riding the country looking for somebody that doesn't look right. So was there a bounty on them if they captured the slave and took them back to the plantation? They would receive a bounty, or were they, how were they paid? Well, I don't know. I would assume so. Okay. I would assume there's a bounty because I don't think you could afford to pay them by the hour. Well, you know, that's the thing, too. How would you find out which slave needed to go back to which plantation or, or two? That would have been you difficult. Know, that it, you would think, I think. Or did they brand them as cattle? No, I, I don't know that. I don't. There was no mention of that ever in here. Okay. Now, I wouldn't put that past it, but it, it doesn't have any mention of that in here. I don't well, think the cruelty that, that they had to well, endure and live through, it wouldn't be beyond, no, right? No, it would not be beyond them. But it, 
I didn't see that because you understand if you if you burned a seared a, a mark in someone's skin, it was there forever. Right. And if they were sold to another plantation, see that yeah. wouldn't work. Okay. So therefore, I think the thing was is they uh, these patrollers would get at they would get it out of them. It'd probably beat it out of them yeah. if they wouldn't tell them. So there was a system to deal with them. Okay. And they had experienced it. So these patrollers, well, he he of course was absolutely terrified the whole time. He had. Now here's another hard thing to. <laughs> he could work a little bit and make money. Now, I don't understand that, but he had sixty four dollars when he escaped. And if he was sitting in on the card games, <laughs> well, he, he, who knows? Might <laughs> have been picking up the change right. and fell through the crack. No, right. no, he said that he could work. It, it, they did not have a normal arrangement, and this is what made this story so hard for me because he lives things out that I wish he would tell. Okay, okay. so to move on, anyway, he had saved the money, and he had escaped, and he had gotten uh, over the river. If you could get over the river to Ohio, and, and that would be a major accomplishment because of the ferries. I mean, there was no bridges at this time, so the only way over would be a ferry. So if they spotted you an unaccompanied uh, black male or black woman, you know, they're, they're going to, it's going to raise red flags. Right. Now, um, he was, he was, he talked about the cruelty of the people that he worked for. But when he escaped over that river, when he got over the river, he said when he got over there, it was like a newfound freedom for him, that he, he, he a feeling like he had never experienced in his life. And he felt like that for one time in his life that he was, he was, he, he laid on the ground and rolled. Wow. He said just rolled on that free soil. He just wanted to, 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 to feel what it felt like to be an actual person, a person, human, right? A, a human being that right. was, was uh, in charge of himself, so to speak. Um, so then we moved to his brother. Okay. This was a separate time. He, uh, I think uh, Milton escaped in 1845, and his brother, excuse me, Lewis escaped in 1845. His brother Milton escaped in 1846. Now, Milton was not at the same plantation as Lewis. Okay. And he was with his grandfather's estate uh, that, he, that he had been passed down from the, the grandfather. He was still in that same household. And then... His grandfather, who knew that they were half white and considered them half sisters of the natural children, wanted them to be set free. But the other children, I guess for whatever reason, the white children wanted the money or did not want to be people to know that they had a, you know, a, a, a half. They didn't want to know about their family's past indiscretions. I, 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 I don't know. He wow. did, did, we don't know. But anyway, they were sold. And, they, and uh, Milton was sold to a guy named Joseph Logan, and he was a tanner um, in Lexington. He ran a tannery. Well, what's a tannery? Well, I, I know very little, folks, but I'll tell you what I know. Uh, at that time, when cows and uh, animals were butchered, the hides, they would take them to a tan yard. And the leather was processed and used for all kinds of things. You know, you just think about it; it's still didn't being done today. Oh yeah. 
So it was it was a huge business, but back then it was done on a local level. And every town, I mean, there was tan yards all over. Every town had one or two maybe because that was, uh, you know, something that was in great demand. So he had he had went to this tannery and worked to this with this guy, and he was very cruel to him, very cruel. And he talks about being beaten just immersively mm. for the slightest things. And he said that he didn't didn't understand sometimes that why the guy was like he's taking out his written his the devil in him. He said on me, you know. Yeah. So this guy, the cholera epidemic of eighteen thirty three hit Lexington, and he lost his mother, who was sold with them, and that was a, was a was a huge blow to him. And then they. The the earth, the youngest Logan Joseph Logan father bought out his son's estate, and the senior Logan was named Deacon Logan, and he was in a church in Lexington. And Deacon Logan took a second wife. Evidently, his first wife had died, and this Deacon Logan <laughs> he treated his slaves pretty well, but this second wife treated the slaves poorly. Hmm. And it said in his narrative that she treated her slaves better than she treated his slaves. This is kind of like a, you know, you can see the conflict here. Yeah. Well, this upset him quite a bit. And he said he witnessed him taking a cowhide to her, giving her about oh, 30 lashes well, for mistreating. Yeah. And said it was to their slaves' delight that they <laughs> got to witness it, you know. Well, as you can imagine, <laughs> it did not sit well yeah. in society then or now. <laughs> so much for a happy wife. <laughs> no. So, so they uh, the church brought him in on charges. Now he was a deacon of this church. Now I assume that was some official office because they found him guilty of abusing his wife. To I guess to no one's surprise, and all the excuses that he gave, they didn't float. Okay, so um, his sister, by the way, was sold, Della. Now, this is a real interesting story. She was sold to go down to New Orleans. And Della was a real good-looking lady, evidently. She, she said she was quite handsome. And they, they sent her south to New Orleans, and some Frenchman bought her, he said, gave his name, um, Colvis or something, and took her to Mexico and married her. Huh. And he was real wealthy. And so she lived, she traveled all over the country and got to go to the West Indies, he said, and traveled all around because she was fortunate enough to fall to, the, to a guy that actually treated her decently and married her and gave her a decent life. That's amazing. It's it just you can't make this stuff up, can no. you? I mean, it just—it's unbelievable. So, so in summer of eighteen forty-one, he decides he wants to. Excuse me, eighteen forty-six. He's wanting to escape. I, I'm sorry, eighteen forty-one. I got my dates mixed up. So he, Milton had learned how to play music. He learned how to play a, a, a drum. He learned how to play a trumpet. And he was in Lexington, and he met three slaves from Dr. Christopher Graham, Graham excuse me, Springs in Harrodsburg, Kentucky. 
Now, Graham Springs and Resort. We've talked about that. Is one a huge, beautiful place. If no one's ever heard of this or anything, if you'll Google that on the Internet and, and pull it That's up. That's in our John it. Brown episode. There's no photographs of it, but there's some sketches of it, and it's an unbelievable resort. And the people from the south would come up here in the summer to escape the heat. Uh, sometimes maybe people from the north would come down here to escape the cold or whatever. And it was a huge attraction. Dr. Christopher Graham was a, quite a character in himself. And his had three slaves, Henry, Reuben, and George, and they were all musicians. And this is how they met Milton. So they all decided they were going to play at a ball in Cincinnati. Now, Brian's slaves were given passes to travel. Okay. Now, this really is hard to understand because if you cross the river, you went on free soil. Now, if you we'll didn't come, come back, back, they'd go after you, and they did, and we'll talk about that more. But I guess they thought they would just stay with them. I don't know. But they decided to go and to play this ball and then to move on north. <laughs> so they did. Now, Dr. Graham caught up. The, the, his three slaves went all the way to Canada, and he followed them all the way to Canada. And he tried to convince them and offered them $500 to come back with him. Now, again, these are musicians, so maybe the standards are a little different. I don't understand all this. No, it doesn't make but it, it. He offered them $500 to come back with him, and they would not. So he came, and I've read I had seen a notice where he had put in a paper about these slaves escaping before. So I, I, I had two or three sources for this, but... Anyway, that just blew my mind that he would pay, you know, offer to pay them to come back. So anyway, they wouldn't. So anyway, he came back alone without them. Well, Milton goes to Oberlin, Ohio. Now that is a town that was pretty much in uh, anti-slavery world. They must. I asked how did I wondered how did he get information. You know, and in the back of the book, he answers questions. And one of the questions that was asked of him was, "How did you? How do you know? Not being able to read and write, how did you know where to go? How? To, what direction to go? You have you can't read road signs. You know, think of all the issues." Well, he would listen. A lot of times, the slave masters would talk, and they would. Slaves were always listening. Slaves were always trying to figure out ways to outsmart, and a lot of times they did their masters. They were a lot smarter than the masters gave him credit. A lot of ear hustling. Yes. Uh huh. So um, he 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 got up there and he again he he was felt he was relatively safe. Um, he had been pretty much. Uh, he doesn't go into detail on what he did to make a living. I would assume that if he was trained as a tanner in Lexington, he probably sought work up there and was paid for doing that. Um, he was. Now, let me ask you something real quick. Um, did did the Underground Railroad play a part in any of these that we're talking about? Did, he uh, never mentions that. Okay. He never. He doesn't mention a network until he gets to Oberlin, Ohio, that he mentions about people willing to help him. If he wanted to go further north, or, right? Okay. Um, now here's a real interesting story that the word had gotten out. There were several slaves that were coming up through there. 
and he was starting to see people that he recognized, you know, people from Lexington, that area, other slaves and people. So the word, for some reason, had gotten out back in Lexington, Kentucky, that he was the instigator of a lot of these slaves escaping. Oh. And they put a, a reward out, so to speak, or a bounty on Milton's head. And they were going to bring him back to stand trial for slave insurrection. Well, in Oberlin, Ohio, in 1852, there was a guy named Benningale that came up there. There was a slave family that escaped from Kentucky. They were in this town. This Benningale came up, and evidently, Brian, he had an army of people with him. Again, this stretches our imagination to understand this, but he pretty much lined the, said the, the, around the town. He put posted men all around the town, wouldn't let anybody leave. And he was going to take this slave family back. I think it was a man, a woman, and several children. You know, he was going to take them back. And, of course, he had the legalities of this is what's really strange is because supposedly on free soil, they were free. Now, if he came up there with a, with a bill of sale or some proof or whatever, and if that slave had committed a crime, then he was allowed to take him back. So, again, it's kind of murky on the legalities of how this worked when these people came after these slaves that were in, quote, free soil. Hmm. So, anyway, they had put out the word that they were going to try to escape intentionally they sent someone that had had to give him wrong information. So Milton dressed up like a woman. <laughs> it was like a, a woman and six males, like probably a, man, a, a husband and, her, and his boys, you know, and a wife. Well, that's the same as the good Lord bird. Uh, that may be where they got it. I don't know. dressed from, yeah. So she, <laughs> he dressed up like a, uh, a woman, I mean, and the six other people with him were men. And they took off a different direction to lead the lead them away, and they got to another town, <laughs> and they let them catch up with him. And then by that time, the the real family had escaped, escaped from and there. got out, got away. Well, that's great. And so you know, it's just those kind of things. That, again, you can't make it up. Now, then the, there was a couple guys from Lexington named Postal Waite. Postal Waite, by the way, is a famous. Well, I wouldn't say famous. Maybe infamous would be a better word for it. Slave catcher, and oh, really? his name is all over the slave trade in Cheapside in Lexington. And it may be in a whole family, I don't know, but I've seen that name before it came up. And there was a McGowan, uh, the postal way to McGowan, decided to capture, to come up into Ohio and capture Milton and bring him back to have him stand trial in Lexington for uh, insurrection of slaves and so forth. Well, anyway, they, they got up there, and they did capture him. And I won't go into all the details, but what happened was the, the local people, you know, there was, there was a lengthy uh, debate with the legalities of it. The sheriff got involved. You know, they said they had their paperwork where he had escaped from him, and he had, he had, they told him he'd stolen or whatever. And uh, in order to legally take him back, they had to try to prove him in doing a crime or something, so they made up something. Well, there was this legal standoff. Well, then they tried to smuggle him out, and then another jurisdiction stopped them. And this postal weight, he would pull his gun on another sheriff 
to forcibly try to take him out. And they had at one time, they were in this carriage, I assume that it had doors on it. They described it like a stagecoach. Mm-hmm. And the next, tr- the next town from where they had uh, had the first encounter, they had successfully bullied the sheriff into letting him take him. But when they got over the, to the next jurisdiction, the local people surrounded the carriage and the local sheriff and basically busted the door of the carriage and said, pulled them men out said, you're not taking him. And so they had a standoff, so they let him go. Hmm. So he escaped again, you know, from that. So anyway, um, I'll, he goes on to live a, a, a free life, a good life. He comes back to Garrett County, and he preaches. Really? Yeah, he comes back, and he preaches, and he tells his story. Now, his story is when he's up into the, in the east, he meets up with uh, Henry Ward Beecher. And that's Harriet Beecher Stowe's brother. Okay. And he, t- somewhere or another, he's either speaking or telling his story, and it gets the ear of this Beecher, and he's in big in the anti-slavery movement. So then he, obviously in some discussion with his sister and her planning to write this book, she wants to meet him. So she meets him, and she sits down with him, and he tells her his story. He tells, you know, and, right. and she's just fascinated by this. And she said, where did this take place? And he, she tells him, and she said, I must go visit that. I want to go see this place. Now, um, so that's where the background of Uncle Tom's Cabin, one of the influences of the story was in Garrett County, Kentucky. Now, let's talk just a little bit about the Clark family, what happened to them. There was, there was 10 of them all together, 10 children. The oldest brother now, and the reason I go into this, Brian, is because this is an example of what slavery was really like, and what happened to people that were caught up in this. Okay, his oldest brother Archie was bought by Cassius Clay. Now we're familiar with Cassius Clay, the, yeah. the famous abolitionist, and he was given uh, six hundred dollars and bought his freedom. Cassius Clay gave him his freedom. Basically, uh, Christina, one of his sisters, was another beautiful girl, evidently. And it, all he said was uh, she married a free man and had several children. And that's all she said, he said about her. We don't know. See, how does a slave marry a free slave or a free person? Right. I do not know. Yeah. How does that work? Uh, Dennis, uh, assisted by Mr. William Stevenson, got his freedom, and he was doing well in business in Kentucky in 1846. Now, you know. We don't know what kind of business. Don't know. Hmm. Don't know. Alexander, a slave of Dr. Richardson. Now, I think this is the Dr. Richardson of Transylvania Medical College at that time. Okay. I think it is. Now, it, could, it may not be, but I think it is. Would that have been in Lexington or in here? Lexington. Okay, at that uh-huh. time. Okay. He lives uh, what's called uh, as a secondhand gentleman, has no intention of running away or getting his freedom. He likes his situation. Okay. Totally happy. That's another thing. Just so he must of, have been treated well? Uh, the fifth child that was born uh, died in infancy. The sixth child was Delilah, and she was a very beautiful girl. And 
was a great price. It said for uh, guilty slave masters. Okay. And that's all he says. And we can know what that means. Yeah. Uh, then, of course, we talked. The seventh child was Lewis and Milton. The ninth child was Matisha, and she was the slave of Joseph Logan and probably not treated very well. Uh, the last youngest child was Cyrus, and he lives uh, at that time in 1846 in Hamilton, New York. Um, Milton came down and helped get him freed from Lexington, and he made his way up into to, uh, uh, New York and Ohio and all on the way. To, you know, he, he escaped slavery. Okay, we're we're about to run out of time, mm -hmm. so let's let's end here. We'll make this a two-parter. Okay. And um, we'll go from there. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of Uncommon History of the South. Uh, to find out more about the podcast and keep up with what we're doing, follow Uncommon, Uncommon History of the South on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Make sure to subscribe for free on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, YouTube, or your favorite podcast listening app. This podcast is created and produced by Harold Edwards and Brian Wolford, and we'll see you next week.